A lot of people say, well, what's God's will for my life? What's God's plan for my life? I don't have to know what God's plan, what God's will, what God's purpose, what God's position. All I need to know is what's not his plan. And his plan is not for me to live in sin. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Today, if you have your Bibles, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's going to be our text. I'm going to use a lot of different scriptures. We always do. But I want to talk today as we continue this series on being more than conquerors. I want to talk to you on this topic. God has no limitations. Why do we? If we're his children and everything Jesus bought and paid for and has given us freely as we just sang that song, why do we not live that way? Why do we not live in that capacity? Why doesn't it seem that we are more than conquerors? And today what I want to do is I want to get right past the symptoms and I want to jump straight to the problem. The fact is we limit ourselves and in this we limit God. And we do that through our attitude. Through the way we perceive, the way we look at things, the way we accept things, the way we live our lives in the midst of things. We spend too much time thinking we have to know where everything is or how everything goes before we can get where everyone wants. And that's the place of victory. That's the place of overcoming. And today, if I do nothing else today, I want to help us understand we don't have to know where everything is. We just have to understand where it's not. I remember reading a story many, many years ago about a young man that was, that was living on the Mississippi River and he was hoping to get a job as a Mississippi Riverboat pilot. Uh, my wife and I, she is from Iowa, which was kind of interesting when Pastor Philemon said, you know, God moves in Kenya and Iowa. <laughs> I couldn't see the correlation, but then I thought, oh, that's where she's from. Yeah. Could anything good come from Iowa? Yes, my awesome wife and many others. Actually, there's other folks here from uh, Iowa as well. Uh, Actually, Richard Cox, are you here, Richard Jane? He's not been feeling well, so you need to pray for Richard. 
He's actually from the same city, Dubuque, Iowa, that my wife is from. No, Dubuque. 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 This boy was, was purposing to become a riverboat pilot. The, the guy that drives and, and, and uh, takes the course of the riverboat down the Mississippi River. And he was being interviewed, and because he was so young, the interviewer was doubtful that the boy could understand and navigate the dangers of the river. So he asked the boy, very matter-of-factly, he said, Son, do you know where all the rocks are in the Mississippi River? And the boy replied, No, sir, I... I do not know where all the rocks are. Just then the interviewer hung his head because it was the answer he expected. But the boy just as quickly interrupted him and said, but sir, I know where they're not. Listen to what I'm saying. I don't know where they're at, but I know where they're not. You see, A lot of people say, well, what's God's will for my life? What's God's plan for my life? I don't have to know what God's plan, what God's will, what God's purpose, what God's position. All I need to know is what's not his plan. And his plan is not for me to live in sin. And okay, God, I know what I'm not supposed to do, so let me start there. And in your notes, if we'll just be determined to know what we do know and to do What we do, do well, then all the rest seems to come together. See, that's how how I've kind of found God operates. God says, just love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You do your best. Guess what? God can take care of the rest. I want to take the Jeremiah 29, 11, and I want to look at it. We, We use that scripture Sadly, out of context so badly because we, we use it to say, okay, great, great, great. I know God's got good things, and he does. But when you look at the passage, you've got to understand that God in, the word of, in his word through Jeremiah the prophet is prophesying on the deliverance of the 70 years of Babylonian captivity in the women's Bible study on Thursday morning or Tuesday mornings. You're studying the book of Daniel right now. And you're talking about the Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah 29 is part of that journey. And look what the Lord says. He said, I know the thoughts I have for you, the plans that I have for you. And then I want you to circle this word, declares. It's not a suggestion. It's not an observation. It is a declaration that the Lord is making. I know the plans I have for you. And you know when God declares something, everyone listens. The things above the earth, the things below the earth, the things on the earth. God says, I have a declaration. And look what he said. My plans are to prosper and not harm, to give you hope and a future. I love the King James version of this, which is actually truer to the original language, the King James translation in this says, to give you hope and an expected end. What is God saying? He says, I expect that you will fulfill my plan. 
Well, how do I do that? By loving him. By not worrying about what isn't happening. But saying, God, what is happening? Number one in your notes. Very plain statement. God will do what you can't. You don't even have to second guess it. God will do what you can't. When Daniel and all of Israel was in 70 years of Babylonian captivity, Daniel knew the time frame. He knew all of it. Why? Because he knew the scriptures. He knew that they were going to be released after 70 years. Do you think Nebuchadnezzar, do you think uh, 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 Darius, do you think the other emperors during that captivity time were just going to release them? Not at all. God was going to do for them what they couldn't do themselves. God will never do for us what we can, but he will never expect us to do what we can't. I should have got an amen out of that. God will never God will do for us what we can't. But he'll never do for us what we can. Too many I talk about attitudes. Too many people limit themselves simply because they base what they can do on the memory of what they haven't done. How many have these gnawing things in our past of things left undone that you'd like to go back. That's, that's the tough thing. I call it the problem with yesterday. The problem with yesterday is we can't do anything about it. It's gone. I can't go back to it. I had a dear, dear friend of mine when I first started pastoring. He died suddenly. He was 36 years old, died of a massive heart attack. He was in better shape than just about anybody I knew. Dies in his sleep. And I started being tormented about all the time that I didn't spend with him. All the things we didn't share together. He was probably one of my closest friends at the time. And God began to minister to me and tell me, that's the problem with yesterday. You can't do anything about it. That's why in Joshua chapter 1, when Moses dies, and Joshua is now the commander-in-chief, the first thing God tells Joshua, Joshua, in case you didn't know, Moses is dead. Time to move on. But God, I, I didn't go through all my proper training. He's dead. Time to move on. But God, I haven't even worked on my this, that, or this. It's time to move on. Too many of us spend too much time living in the past. But can I tell you something? We have to get past the past. Because the thing I understand, yesterday's victories or defeats will be replicated tomorrow if we don't learn to deal with them today. God wants us to realize, God wants us to realize that we can't base what we're doing on what we didn't do. Many believe that they can't get a better job. Let me just come right to where the rubber meets the road. Many believe we can't get a better job because we, we haven't finished a certain school or a certain grade. 
or they haven't received some form of higher education. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for higher education. But I am convinced in all my years of pastoring that that is the lesser issue at hand as far as releasing you in your potential. I've shared uh, in our church, I've got all kinds of degrees now since I've been pastoring for for 30-something years. But when I first started pastoring, the only degree I had was the G-O-D. I went to Bible school, and it's sitting on the pulpit right now. That was the school of the Bible. That's where I went. I spent my first five years pastoring, never had a lick of Bible school, never had a lick of anything other than being schooled in the Bible. Now, you know the disciples did that, and they fared pretty good. Many of those who followed Jesus, they did that, and they fared pretty good. But I had people say, well, you, you've got to get some degrees. You've got to get this. And so I, you know, I, I went to school. I, I wanted to do it anyway because I wanted to learn things that maybe I didn't learn. And I realized when I started going to school, Bible school and, and seminary and that kind of stuff, that I knew pretty much all the stuff they were teaching. You know why? It was called the school of experience. It was called on-the-job training. One thing you learn real quick about being a pastor, you better learn how to be a pastor if you're going to pastor people because they expect you to be a pastor. You mean pastor all my schoolings for nothing? Not at all. Unless the reason you're doing the school is to try to make you something. Jesus already made you more than a conqueror. There was a young boy for my point in case. He was sent home from school with a note that said this boy is backward and unteachable. He has a hard time with vocabulary skills. He's far behind the other kids in simple tasks, just as simple as counting. Sent him home. Said do something with him. Well, I think I left in your notes. The boy's name was Albert Einstein. I think he turned out pretty smart, didn't he? You see, I, I'm not opposed to higher education, but why are we doing it? When I was going through all my degrees, I got my, my, my bachelor's, I got my master's, I got my doctorate, I was $3,000 away. Now, that sounds kind of strange, but I was $3,000 away from my Ph.D. All I had to do was do my dissertation, give them 3000 bucks, got my Ph.D. And I asked myself, why the heck am I doing this? Do I need another rag on my wall? Do I? Or is God doing what he's doing? You see, ladies and gentlemen, when, when, when Paul was writing those pa- that passage in Romans chapter 8, and he said that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, what he literally said, guys, the battle has already been won. All you got to do is get in the field. All you got to do is set yourself in the position and watch God give the victory. Can somebody shout amen? I've come to resolve that in this life, the road of success is, pre- is paved with the bricks of failure. So in that, I think I need to get a new perspective. You see, I said God will do what we can't. Let me go to point two. But God won't do what you can And if you want to write this little note in there, 
What is the thing you can do that makes a difference in all things? Is put God first in everything. And this is where it all starts for the Christian. We have God on our list, but first usually isn't the place. Why? Because, hey, I got to take care of myself. I got to take care of my family. I got to take my job. I got to take care of my higher education. I got to take, and once again, ladies and gentlemen, none of that's wrong. But the issue of limitations is we got the priorities a little backwards. There are too many who are waiting on God for do for God to do for us what He told to do for ourselves, and that is put Him first in all things. You say, "Well, Pastor, why don't we do that?" It's because we live in an age of entitlement. America is becoming massively entitlement-driven, as the rest of the world already has been. I'm watching the news, and for sake of getting political, you have people... Okay, I'll, I'll... Turn the recorder off. Just kidding. Yeah. You got Bernie Sanders. Let me get political with you for a second. This guy's going to give you free everything. The problem is when you get free everything, who's going to pay you for anything? See, that's called entitlement. And you got Donald Trump. He's going to beat you silly with everything. God knows I can't talk about Hillary Clinton. Maybe you're a fan. Please don't get offended if you are. God has to be first, folks. I know. What about Cruz and Rubio? What about him? What about them? We live in an entitlement society, and Christians are sucked into it. You know how many people I talk to said, well, you know, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. Can you give me a chapter and verse on that? That's called fatalism. The Word of God doesn't tell us if it's meant to be, it will happen. Can I tell you something? Paul was meant to do what he did, and he still lost his head. Peter was meant to do what he did, and he was crucified upside down. It doesn't mean just because you're doing what God calls you to do, you're not going to deal with issues. But there's no place in the Word of God that tells us just because we're a conqueror, we won't spend a little time being conquered. I've heard people over the years ridicule Peter about his lack of faith. He stepped out of the boat and he sank. But can I ask you, did anybody else step out of the boat? Did anybody else even ask? Well, Lord, Peter's out there. Can I come too? You see, we get, we get so in this little circle of saying, well, you know, God's going to take care of everything. Everything's just going to work out just hunky-dory. No, in the big scheme of things, the big plan, it will. 
but it may not work out in my little plan and the way I have things put together. Am I making sense at all today? One of the reasons that we don't do the things that we should do is because we're afraid we're going to fail at it. It didn't stop the disciples. It didn't stop the the tribes of Israel. Oh, they fell flat on their face, but yet God raised them back up. You see, what God's talking to, to, to the people of God in the book of Jeremiah, he's saying, guys, I know you messed up, but I got plans for you, and I know how to make those plans work. Will you just return to me and put me first? Let let me ask you a question. Why is it that we somehow never see God in failure? When something doesn't work out, well, it couldn't have been God. Why? Well, when when things fall apart, well, God must not have been in that. Am I making any sense? I'm just preaching to me today. Why do we have such a hard time? I mean, folks, this is a strange kind of attitude to have when you're a people whose entire faith is based on the cross. The world calls the cross failure. Now, we understand it because we're a people that look at the cross as the journey of victory because it didn't stop at Calvary. There is an empty tomb. Can I hear you say amen? There are people that are so quick to make an example out of the failures of life, but would it not be true that the greater failure is the one who stops trying? The person just throws in the towel. Samuel Smiles said these words. He said, we learn wisdom from failure much more than we do from success. We often discover what we'll do by finding out what we'll not do. The only person who never has made a mistake, listen to this, is most likely the same person who has never made a discovery. <coughs> if, God, if God's plans for you and me are success, why are our plans different at times? Now, I know people would sit back and say, well, Pastor, that's not how I feel. I, I know God wants success. I want success. Then why do our actions fall differently? Why is it that we have God someplace besides first, besides in that place of victory for your life and for mine? Because we have an attitude of entitlement. We think, well, if God's in it, it's just going to work out. Everything's going to be just fine. Let's look at that word conquer for a minute. To conquer something, does it take effort? Does conquering just happen? Yes, we are more than conquerors, which means we are preeminent victors or the fact that we won before we even began, but we still have to engage. We still have to jump in the fray. Let me take you back to the Word of God, James chapter 2. Look what it says. What good is it, my dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anybody? Suppose you see a brother or sister, they have no food, no clothing, and you say, well, be blessed, be filled, be gone. 
but you do nothing to assist them, to give them of the substance, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself, saying the right words isn't where it matters. When, when I trust God in something, I have to move. I have to step in or step out. There's a little statement that I've come up with over the years that if you will step out in faith, God will step in in fact. But he expects us to step out first. He expects us to make the first move. Another thing that I've said for many years, there's only two things in in all of, of, of eternity that God has done first. And they both start with a C. One was creation. One was Calvary. Everything else God done, God done, God has done, has been in response to our faith. The Bible says Abraham, his faith came, his righteousness was the word used at the time because he believed God. He stepped out and said, God, this is your deal. I'm in this for you. I'm not going to build a house. I'm not going to put down stakes. I'm going to look for the city that you've set, whose maker and builder is God. Moses trusted God so much, even in the aspects of his failures, in his frustration, in his flesh. When God said, Moses, you're not going into the promised land, but don't worry, I'm taking you home to the promised land. Things don't always work out the way we think we should. But God said, okay, put your faith out there. Step out. Believe. Trust. And regardless of what you see happening, stand. And when you've done all to stand, stand some more. What good does it do? The scripture goes on. He said, faith isn't enough unless it produces works. We're not saved by works but the faith we have in Christ always produces works. Once again, we are more than conquerors. That word conqueror means something has happened. Some of them might argue, the scripture goes on, some people have faith and others have works or good deeds. Look what he says here. How can you show me your faith if you don't have works? How, this, this is why I ask people, Can somebody know that you're a Christian just by watching your life? Can they? The answer should be yes. Because if they can't, then I would question the Christian part. There's no such thing as a closet Christian. There's lots of closet things in this world, but Christian isn't one of them. So he said, how do you show me that you have faith if your life is not emulating this? Go back to Jeremiah. He said, I've taken you out of the mess you've made because I haven't changed my plans. My plans were this. A statement I've made for many years, God's will is not always done, but God's plan is always done. God has a plan of victory for Israel. God has a plan of victory for the church. That doesn't mean every church person is going to see that victory. It doesn't mean every Jew is going to see that victory. But God has a plan, and can I tell you something about God's plans? They will happen. But God wants you a part of it and me a part of it. How do you show me your faith if you don't show me your works? He said, you want me to tell you how to do it? 
let me show you my faith by the life I live, the works. You say you have faith? You believe there's one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble. Oh, but God, God understands. There's that attitude of entitlement. God understands. See, God wants us to be conquerors. But we can't conquer just by sitting. We can't conquer just by showing up. Are you conquering right now, sissy? Yes, Yes, you are. This little girl, we all know because we're praying for her. She's going through cancer. Did you notice I didn't say she's living in it? She's going through it. And I tell you, the radiance on Miss Sarah's face is astounding to me. This number 11 chemo treatment, Monday is the last one. Monday is the last one. You think Pastor Philemon was dancing a jig this morning, you watch her tomorrow morning. She didn't plan on being here. But guess what? She is here. And you know what her faith does? Keeps her here. Keeps her standing strong. Keeps her believing. So many times our faith as entitlement Christians, well, bless God, God, I trusted you, but this happened. I love the articles on Facebook. Bob, you posted one of them. What what did it say? Uh, People get hurt and they blame God for this. What? They get hurt and they blame the church. Who do you think they were living for? Themselves and the church. Where was God? See, God tells me, I don't care. I love Pastor Philemon, but you know what? If he lets me down, I'm still going to stand up. I love my wife, but if she lets me down, I'm still going to stand up. Why? Because no matter how much I love them, I trust them, I yield my hearts to them, my life's to them, it's God I'm living for. I got three hand claps out of that whole thing. I, I, we ought to got at least 15 more or something. The devils believe and they tremble. God said we need, look at the word, faith and the exemplification of it. If you don't have it, look what's the last words, what's it say? Your Christianity is useless. If your life is not exemplifying your faith. So we go back to that concept. God will do what I can't. But God won't do what I can. And what is that? That's live for him. That's seek him first. Trust him first. Put him first. Say, Pastor, it's just not that easy. Right. It's not easy. Look at the notes. Calvin Coolidge said, nothing in the world takes the place of persistence. Talent won't. Nothing's more common than unsuccessful people with talent. Genius won't cover it. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education. Here's that education thing again. Once again, I'm not opposed to it, folks, but I ask why are we doing what we do? It's not going to accomplish it. The world is full. This was Calvin Coon saying this, not me. Okay, I'm just repeating it. Uneducated derelicts, or educated derelicts. 
persistence, and determination. God, you saved me. Nothing in hell is going to stop me. If I can go back to higher education for just one minute, and I had to put this in here because this is just one of those perplexing things. Career students. Maybe you are one here, and maybe after service you can come and explain why. I thought the purpose of education, I thought the purpose of, of growing in our education was to become a person not dependent on the teacher any longer, but rather independent in ourselves. We've learned, therefore we apply. What has ever happened to the ability to grow ourselves, to think for ourselves, to figure out things for ourselves? You see, that's what Christians are supposed to do. We're not just supposed to take what the preacher said and and, and, and take it, you know, for what it's worth. In your bulletin, does, do all of you have a sheet of notes? You know why I put those notes in there? So that you can find out if what I'm saying is, thus saith the Lord. So we can go and look for ourselves. Many Christians only get direction in life from their pastor or other Christians. Instead of growing to the place of hearing from God themselves. And if you and I cannot learn to think for ourselves, we'll always be in bondage to those who think for us. And we'll be limited in our ability to mature, grow, and develop in what God has called us to be. Let me share some scriptures. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans, declares the Lord. Romans 8 says, if God's for me, who can be against me? Psalm 118 says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. Philippians 4 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So let me wrap this up today. It's time to loose the limits of our lives. Turn to the book of Micah. The book of Micah. It's a very small book. It's only got six six chapters. The book of Micah, it's in between, uh, it's got, you know, you got, uh, oh gosh, it's in your Bible. Old Testament. When you're there, somebody say amen. Micah chapter 6. Are you there? See, that was my own insecurity. I started to say it's right next to Jonah. But then I thought, is it? I don't remember. Yes, right after Jonah. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Now let me give you the little little, uh, scenario there. God is talking to the people of Israel and trying to get them Back on track. What does back on track mean? Putting him first. And the children of Israel are are talking to God, and they say, well, God, what do you want? You want our firstborn children? You want 10,000 rivers of oil? You want want all, God, what do you want? And look what God said. He said, I want you to do three things. Do justly, 
love mercy, and walk humbly. You see, doing those three things, what it breaks down is you're just saying, God, in every aspect of my life, I'm going to do right before you. That's doing justly because you are my source. That's what doing justly is talking about. Loving mercy. I'm realizing that man is my neighbor. And I'm to love my neighbor as I love myself. So I don't care what man does to me. I'm still going to love him. I'm going to still, I'm not going to hold unforgiveness. I'm not going to hold bitterness and resentment. Oh, you said, Pastor, did you have to throw that in there? Sure I do. Because unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment will keep you out of heaven. This is what God's word teaches, not what Pastor Tim teaches. Then he says, walk humbly. Realize that our life is not our own. It belongs to God. It's not our choice. It's his plan that we are to follow. You see, if God is for us and no one can stop us, then who is it that limits us? Look at somebody and say, it's the person sitting in my chair. Proverbs 23 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Now, once again, you take that passage in context, which I'm teaching on Wednesday night, how to do all this stuff. It's not just pulling it out of there. Well, you know, I think I'm victorious in my life, so that's what I'll be. That's not what he's talking about. This is talking about a very self-centered, narcissistic man. No matter how much you smile at him, he's going to do what he is set to do. And that's you and me. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Every child of God needs to realize that what he or she believes ultimately affects the attitude that motivates and eventually leads us to success or failure. Perfect example. As the worship team comes, many who've risen from failure to real achievement, you know what they did? They rejected the rejection of the world. In 1902, one of the, the editor of the Atlantic Monthly returned a sheaf of poems to a 28-year-old writer and said, our magazine has no room for your vigorous verse. The poet they were rejecting was Robert Frost. Maybe some of you remember him. 1905, the University of Bern turned down a Ph.D. dissertation as being irrelevant and fanciful. The young physicist that they were rejecting was a man by the name of Albert Einstein, as we talked about earlier. In 1894, a rhetoric teacher at Harrow in England wrote on a 16-year-old's report card, this young person has a conspicuous lack of success. The 16-year-old that they were writing about was one we know now as Winston Churchill. You know what every one of these people did? They chose to reject the rejection. You know the world might say this about you? Your friends might say that about you? You're even your family, your mom and dad might speak those words about you. But you know what the Bible tells me? I'm going to believe the word of God. And that word says, I can do all things. 
You say, oh, pastor, it doesn't seem like it right now. Let me take you to the book of Romans. He is still the God that speaks those things that are not as though they are. You may not be where you think you should be. I'm going to share this and take it from the heart of the one building. It's time to stop the poor, pitiful me syndrome and stop complaining about what we don't have and start rejoicing in what we do have. If it's not the way it should be, do something about it. You're the only one that can. I have people in ministry all the time. Ministries don't work out. Thank God we have Pastor Philemon here because now they can't blame me, they blame him. Because he's in charge of the ministries. They used to tell me, Pastor, it's your fault. Now it's his. Okay. Who, who, folks, who? I, I spend time with this man. He doesn't have nail prints. And the one that does, he still said, what are you going to do about it? Jeremiah 29. I have plans for you. And those plans are to prosper. To be victorious. To overcome. Not for you to deal with, to to live in harm, but to have hope and a future or an expected. God said, get in the plans that I have and watch what I can do. Something I learned a long time ago is that when I'm in the plan of God, you say, well, pastor, that's hard to do. Not at all. Put him first. You want to be a conqueror? Put him first. Yeah, but what if it doesn't work out? He's still first. Yeah, but what if they do this? He's still first. Well, what? what? He's still first. Has anybody watched Woodlawn yet? Gone see the movie Woodlawn? You need to. True story. Great movie. Great movie. At the end of the movie, two rival teams, they're playing for state championship. And you know what happened to both of the teams? They both got saved. True story. You need to go rent it. It's called Woodlawn. It's called Woodlawn. Go rent it. At the end, this is a spoiler alert, isn't it? I'm a terrible person to watch movies. I, you, people tell me, Pastor, you got to go see this movie. How's it end? Oh, I can't tell you that. Well, I'm not going to go see it then. How's it end? I know it's terrible, but that's just what it is. I mean, I like to know the ending. Hey, folks, when I first got saved, I read the back of the book. I win. I'm good. At the end of the movie, or someplace towards the end, well, I'm going to tell you the end, because you don't know who won. But one team won and one team lost. But at the end, every one of them lifted their finger up in the air because they knew Jesus was still on top. He ultimately was the winner. All you got to do is realize, you want to be in the middle of God's plan? Put him first. 
You want to be more than a conqueror? Get yourself off the throne and put Jesus on it. It doesn't take a lot. The reality is when Jesus is on the throne of my life, my past doesn't matter because God has a great future planned just for you. Do you believe that? Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.